I'm Brian Shelton, and you're listening to Harper Talks, a co-production of Harper College Alumni Relations and Harper Radio. Today on Harper Talks, I'm excited to speak with Michael Neiman. Michael is one of those seemingly rare cases of being both a student at Harper College and an employee. Michael served in several positions at Harper and retired as Director of Student Activities in 2012. Michael joined me for the Harper Talks podcast over Zoom. Welcome to Harper Talks. Thanks for being here today, Michael. How are you doing? Very good. Thank you for uh, having me, Brian. I appreciate it. It's uh, it's good to have you. I'm, I'm sorry that we couldn't have you back on campus today. A little bit of uh, inter- interference with COVID and some things happening in the studio. But thanks for joining me over Zoom. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. You know, it's going to be a fluid situation for a while, I think. So we just have to kind of go with the flow. Yeah, we're hoping to get people back in the studio for these interviews soon. But we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. So are you in the WHCM studio or are you in your uh, your office or I'm in my office on campus in the D building looking out at the beautiful pond and the Ender family pavilion out here and it's just um it's a gorgeous day so nice be nice to be having shows out that way. Yeah. <laughs> I, wish, I wish I was back on site. So speaking of shows, I have to ask you, uh, I have lots of things I want to ask you about because I'm very interested, but uh, uh, I love talking to folks who were at Harper College in the 70s. What what was it like to be here in the 70s, man? Yeah, I was a student in 1977 when the furthest building east on campus was the library. So literally it was half the college that we see now. Um, and and it was, I mean, we didn't know any better, so it was fine. I think M Building was brand new, though. For your listeners, though, you know, my job at Harper was uh, campus activities coordinator, then a director, and we used to do all the big events. So at that time, the only places we did shows were, believe it or not, the Student Center, and then I was the first person to do big shows in Building M. So we had to make the gymnasium kind of work. So didn't have great venues or facilities, but we just had to work with what we had at the time. Yeah, what was the vibe like on campus? I mean, are we in bell bottoms and such? What's what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, from a fashion. In fact, back then, I hate to admit this, but I actually had a perm. Um, if you look back, I wrote for the Harbinger. I did a, a weekly entertainment column way when I first started at Harper, and uh, I was a big fan of uh, Ian Hunter of Mott the Hoople, and I thought, oh, I'll do a perm. It was like one of the worst decisions I think I ever did. And I was lucky enough at one point, I got to meet him. He did a show at Dirty Nellie's in Palatine, and the friend of mine who produced the show let me go backstage, and, and I wanted to meet him. I said, you know, I, I, I love your music, but you... You helped me make one of the worst decisions of my life. I had a perm and he said, sorry about that, mate. <laughs> and it was, uh, you know, but it was cool to meet him because that was, God, he was such an influence on me when I was younger. That's for sure. Well, that's really cool. And the fact that you were able to uh, to do that, that's um, pretty uncommon these days. It's kind of hard to get backstage these days. So I know things have really, really changed, obviously. You know, when I first started out, you know, you, you learn on the job and, you know, if you walked around with a clipboard and went to a concert, chances are you were able to get backstage because... If you had a clipboard, you looked official and people never questioned it. So I think that's how I got to make a lot of my initial contacts is I just had a lot of moxie and I just went to events and, you know, hey, I'm Mike Naiman from Harper College and how are you? And and uh, uh, those contacts really paid off later when I was doing a lot of booking. Yeah, I remember when I was in college, we went to Cleveland to see this band called Rusted Root. I don't know if you're familiar. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and we were all wearing our college radio t-shirts and the radio station that was like, sponsoring the concert i saw one of the guys and he says you guys are in college radio and so we had a chat with him he goes do you want to meet the band and he took us backstage in this giant arena to meet the band and it was like wow this is so cool you know so wear your college radio t-shirt when you go to a show 
you know, so. <laughs> you know, in the business, people are so kind to people uh, in college, you know, so if you're a college student, you know, if you've got students who are listening right now, uh, you know, use that to your advantage. If you want to learn more about a particular business, letting people know that you're in college and you want to learn more about it, and maybe you do an uh, information only interview, those things can be really beneficial. So uh, part of that, you brought Journey to campus. Is that true? I, I hear stories. Yeah, 77, you know, I came to Harper College. I was the first person in my family to go to, to college. You know, that was never part of the plan. My father was very bright. He, he, he told me, he goes, look at Mike, if you're not going to go to college, you need to get a job and pay rent. And I thought, okay, I, I, can, I can do that. So I went to Converse Gym Shoes uh, in Elk Grove Village, and I worked in their warehouse, <laughs> and I filled orders and loaded trucks. And I had this epiphany. One day it was like 90 degrees with a lot of humidity, much like today, the day we're talking to each other. I looked around my, uh, the situation and said, you know, there's gotta be an easier way to make a living. Coincidentally, I was I always wanted to write, so I was doing some writing and some cartooning for their newsletter and people took notice and I got a Copley, I think it was Copley or Paddock Publications uh, scholarship. And it was for $150, which back then was just enough for three credit hours at Harper College. And there began my college career. It was funny. I, I, I signed up right away. I uh, took a full load. Uh, I, I loved Harper in the 70s. You know, and, and I know Harper's hasn't changed that much now, but back then, you know, it was this very robust environment where you were making connections and you were talking to a lot of people. And I got involved right away. I, was, uh, I wrote an entertainment column there for the Harbinger, and then I got involved uh, some friends of mine were on the programming board, which is now called the Campus Activities Board, but they said, Mike, you know a lot about entertainment, you want to be our concerts chair, and I thought, okay, I'll give it a shot. And then to get to your question, one of the very first shows I did was a little-known band at that time named Journey, and uh, we put them, believe it or not, to, was a uh, student center. Uh, it was $2.50 to get in, which was reflective of the times. And then they drew so much power, I remember the, the lights in the parking lots were all dimming. <laughs> so as a student, then I booked uh, John Prine shortly after that and Steve Goodman. So I had a really positive experience doing that. And then my friends who were involved with program board at Harper transferred to NIU and they said, you know, they got on that concert board and they said, do you want to get involved? And I said, sure. So at NIU, I got to work with the police, the Ramones, Robert Palmer. In fact, I interviewed Sting for uh, the Prairie Sun, which was uh, it's like an Illinois entertainer type publication. And even I was writing for the Illinois entertainer, too. And and I interviewed one of my first <clears throat> interviews was Rush and they played at the small club called uh, Beginnings in Schaumburg, which is now the DMV. So when you go get your license renewed in Schaumburg, that used to be a very cool club that had some pretty, in fact, Iggy Pop played there, the Ramones played there uh, on a cheap truck. A lot, of, a lot of huge bands actually got their you know, start there. So uh, it was exciting times, really exciting times. Well, that's really interesting, you know, and it's so cool that you had those experiences and also that so many students on both of those campuses had those experiences, right? They got to see those, see those bands. I mean, what a thing to think about, right? You're thinking back now, like, man, I saw the police in a tiny club at, you know. And being to, able to interview Sting. I mean, you know, was, I'm working the show and and back then I said, hey, I'm writing for this paper. Can I can I get you, can I get 10 minutes with you? And, and uh, he was very gracious about that. And I got the interview and got a front page story out of it. So I was getting bylines. And, you know, when you're young, you can just, I recommend to all the students listening to this, you know, give it a shot. Oh, it never hurts to write a letter or an email or get on the phone and talk to somebody and say, hey, what can I, 
what can I, you know, can I, can I interview? Can I do, you know, can I do this? Uh, Cause you never know what doors might open up for you. Well, I tell students that all the time, the worst that can happen is the person says no. And then you just move on with your day, you know? So just, just go out there and ask and make it happen. And my experience has been nine times out of 10, they're, they're gracious. Most people want to help other people. I think that's an, an innate kind of thing with people. Um, and so I think as long as you're genuine and uh, you know, enthusiastic, uh, you know, I, I think it's to your advantage to, to do that. It, it goes a long way. Yeah. Um, so you came back uh, to Harper College as an employee. You became the coordinator of student activities shortly after graduating from Northern Illinois University. How, how did that come about? How did you go from, you know, a student to then graduating and coming back and running this program? What's really funny is I had shared about how important it is to reach out and get interviews and stuff, you know, information only interviews. And when I was still at NIU, I knew I wanted to work for a record company. And so my first job was actually Warner Electra Atlantic Records. And, and there was, it was a crummy situation. Even with a college degree, you had to start in the warehouse. That's that's how they did things. And, and so it was really frustrating to be back in the warehouse with a college degree. And, and it, it only lasted about six months. I, I really was unhappy and, and the Harper job opened up. But the way I got that job, by the way, is um, I called a marketing person over at, at WIA and I said, you know, hi, Mike Naiman, you know, I, I'm taking a journalism class uh, in marketing and advertising as an extra credit project. If I interview you and learn more about the business, uh, I can I can get some extra credit. And, and the marketing guy was really very gracious and let me come in and uh, I interviewed him. And what I did really, though, was I was asking him, so what do you look for in people when they when I start in your in your business, you know, and, and what what kind of, you know, what would be the ideal candidate? And uh, what's great is, you know, six months later, I went in for an interview and used all that information to my advantage and got the job. Uh, unfortunately, it wasn't the right fit for me. So um, at the time I needed to make more money. I just got out of college. And and so uh, I saw that the position at Harper opened up and I had such a great experience at Harper. I thought, well, my, my honest, you know, the truthful thing was, I thought, well, I'll do this for a year or two, and then I'll, I'll figure out what my next what my next plan will be. Right. And as it turned out, it was such a perfect fit, and I loved, you know, my experience at Harper. The people were so wonderful, and I, I liked working with students a lot. So it was a, a real positive thing for me. Yeah, I remember the first year I was teaching. I was like, well, I'm going to teach for a year or two, and then that's going to be the end of that. And you know, now 22 years later, you know, so that's. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Funny how yeah. that works, right? <laughs> so, so that's okay. But you were at Harper, you spent most of your career here, right? How long were you here? Yeah, 30 plus years. I started out as a coordinator, worked myself up to, uh, worked my way up to as a director. Uh, at the, uh, you know, at the top of my career, I was helping to produce, overseeing like 200 plus events a year. We would get 20 to 25,000 people to come out to our events. We had what, four or five active venues. I was using J143 for shows. I was using the gym for show, shows. We were doing outdoor events. Uh, so it was really robust. And there's things that people probably don't even realize how dynamic the student activities program was at Harper for many, many years. We started um, a leadership program. The Excel leadership program was the first one of its kind in the state. And a lot of the other schools, all the other junior colleges kind of followed suit. We did what was called curriculum infusion. And you bring artists on campus, say an author of some sort. You know, a good example, we had Ray Bradbury, the very famous science fiction author, come to Harper. And we tied it into a faculty member syllabi where the speaker would go to the uh, class, talk to the students and, oh my God, you know, if you're reading Fahrenheit 451 and you actually have Ray Bradbury in the room to ask questions, I mean, what a, what a cool experience is that for a community college student, you know? Um, and, and so they would do a daytime program or they would do daytime classes and then they would do an evening program 
on campus for the community. And we were the very first school really to do a lot of that in, in the state and uh, uh, very proud of that. And then we did a lot of diversity programming, uh, which was, uh, I think we were really ahead of the ball there. In fact, Brian, a lot of people don't even realize this, but there's a book out, by the way, I don't know if you've seen it or, or read it, the uh, 50 year anniversary. Yeah, Trick Thorson wrote it and I helped him compile a lot of the information about all the authors and performers and celebrities that were here on campus because we wanted to document that. But Harbor College was way ahead of the curve. Even back in 1969, when they first started doing programming, we had Jesse Jackson Jr. and Julian Bond, who were both civil rights leaders. And if you look at our, our history, we had Maya Angelou, Oprah, Michael Eric Dyson, Muddy Waters, Buddy Guy, Wynton Branford Marcellus, Sherman Alexie, the, the Native American author who's got books and movies out. Dick Gregory, we had three times at the college. He's a comedian and activist. Daryl McDaniels from uh, Run DMC came to the campus. And one of my all-time favorite programs was right before I retired, actually, we had Dr. John Carlos, who, if you remember from the 1968 Olympics, he was one of the gentlemen who did the Black Power Salute, along with Tommy Smith. And having Dr. Carlos on campus was such a positive experience, too. And to hear his story, you know, he said, here we were getting international attention, international fame. We were being you know, respected and applauded on uh, an international level, yet when we come back home, we do not get the same respect because we're black and we, you know, we can't even get jobs or we can't get a, a home. And so it was really interesting for me to learn more about you know, white privilege and, and uh, institutionalized uh, racism. And he was such a dynamic individual to work with. So it was a, a really good experience. And he was at Harper, I think in 2012, right before I retired. That's all, I mean, that's all amazing and, and kind of leads to a, a question that I wanted to ask, but I have to frame it. Harper College is a very positive place, very positive experiences here. But, but I, I have to ask, I hear these stories all the time about how we used to have all these great events on campus. So I, I guess two questions, you know, how do you make all that happen? But then what happened to all of that? Because it doesn't seem to really exist here anymore, right? I've started here in 2014 and we do have events on campus. We do have shows and that sort of thing, but it's nowhere near the level that you're talking about. And I'm kind of curious if you have an understanding or ex explanation for that. Sure, sure. Well, it was a very different time and I don't want to take anything away from Aaron, uh, who's currently doing um, all the cultural arts programming and uh, she's in charge of student involvement. The shift, there's been a shift though and a change and they do more student involvement kinds of things, lots of clubs and organizations and activities that way, which is very positive. But it's really shifted back when I was going to school, there was an association called the National Association for Campus Activities, NACA. And most colleges and community colleges had very robust you know, entertainment programs. I was very, very lucky. My predecessor, uh, Gene Pankinen, who was actually my boss for most of my career at Harper, had developed this really great program with all kinds, you know, she brought Steve Martin to the college and Oprah, uh, for instance. And so she was very supportive. So when I came in and had visions of grandeur, <laughs> which I'll admit, you know, I, I was I was interested with film and, and music and art, you name it. So my big goal, my big overview was that I wanted to bring people together over cultural events. And that's, that was what I thrived to do. So getting, you know, 1,000, 1,500 people to come to a Building M event where there were community members who could take a look at Harper College for the first time and say, hey, you know, maybe I want to take a class here. Or I saw so many times where parents took their kids and they had these really positive experiences. So Harper is having this you know, positive view in their mind. Um, that was that was really wonderful. And we just kept building off of that. And you know, I got lucky early on too. I learned very early in my career to work with 
rather than compete against. So there was a gentleman named Rick Hewitt, who uh, he's he was uh, the owner of Zanies. And at the time, he only had one nightclub in Chicago. He wanted to see if there was a market for comedy in the suburbs, and I needed programming. So I got to meet him. One of those things where I just kind of knocked on the door and said, hi, I'm, you know, I'm Mike Naiman. I work at Harper. You know, What do you think if we ever wanted to do anything? And through Rick, we had like Jay Leno uh, three times, Jerry Seinfeld, Bill Maher, John Stewart, Jeff Garland, Richard Lewis, Paula Poundstone. Louis Anderson, Rita Rudner, and Frank Caliando. And that's just naming a few. There were, there were others that we, we booked as well. Let me ask you, though, do you think you could have those comedians on campus today? Or is the environment so toxic? That's a great question, Brian. Here's, here's the big dilemma now, two things. One is, if you've heard the name, they're probably out of your, your budget at this point. So one of the things I had to do is I had to grab artists on their way up. You know, at the time, nobody knew who Jeremy right. was. You know, or very few people. Or when I had Jay Leno, do you know we had Jay Leno three times? And the third time was finally when he sold out, even though he was incredible. And now the problem is, you know, and I sit on another cultural committee at this point. I sit on the Schomburg Cultural Commission, the Performing Arts Center in Schomburg. And the challenge is now everything's so dispersed. You know, there's so much segmentation in the market and it's, you know, impossible to find artists that cross over that are within your budget that you can sell out shows with. It's just a whole different marketplace. And so back then, you know, Jay Leno would cross over, you know, he would appeal to young students as well as, well as parents, you know, and so uh, and community members. So we were able to bring him in for $3,500, I think was one of our early contracts and charge minimum, you know, we students were paying activity fees. So we always made sure that they received uh, a good discount at the door. So they never paid more than a you know, four or $5 at the doors. And, and, and so we were able to build up this program and we had so much success though. We had so many big names over the years, and, you know, Joan Jett played in Building M and Violent Femmes and Psychedelic Furs and on and on. And, you know, we'd get 1500 people to come. So if our break even point was say a thousand, we would then make a profit because we would get 1500 people in the door. So uh, our marketing expertise helped us out. So we built up this big program. But then I think with not only the, the marketplace changing, but then I think Harper's focuses were, change, were changing, you know. I think Aaron does a dynamic job, uh, you know, I think, especially now with COVID, oh my God, I don't even know how you would do any kind of a program like I used to do uh, in, under these conditions. Doing more things where students can get involved, get on the job training kinds of things where they learn more about, you know, student government or the radio station or, you know, the Harbinger or, or whatever. I think there's real value to that. And I'm not sure if they could duplicate a lot of what we did back then because right. it was a very different different time. Yeah, I wonder um, I, two things off of that. One, are students less involved on campus because there are less things for them to do on campus? Or is it because they have so many other things to do? Like you're saying, there's that market segmentation, right? Like students have so many more opportunities of ways to spend their time today that it's different than what it was definitely in the 80s and 90s. That's for sure. Right. You know, just trying to tap into that, I think would be really challenging. You know, my hat's off to Erin and her staff because I know that it is really challenging to say, hey, look at us, you know, get involved in student involvement. And, and, and why should you or why would you? And, and that's where I, you know, I always told my students back in the day, my observation is, of students at Harper's that a lot of them come to campus with blinders on, you know, they go from their car to their class, their class to their car, uh, you know, and then back home. And I always told my students to develop your peripheral vision, you know, look at the world around you, get involved, make contacts. And, and I think to this day, that's still really, really good advice. Take advantage of the fact that there are 
I, I don't know. You know, back in the day, there were 45 to 50 clubs and organizations. I think there's actually more now. Uh, and even if it's Zoom meetings at this point, get involved because you're going to make contacts. You're going to you know, network. You can get real life experience. You know, if you're on the student government, you can learn more about politics. If you're with the radio station, you learn more, uh, more about what it is to, to be a spokesperson. If you're uh, at the Harbinger, you're writing you know, articles. I'm a big proponent, by the way, of the speech and debate team. I think Jeff Prisbillo and his team do an excellent job. And a student going into any field, I can't think of a field that this wouldn't be correct. Um, being able to speak in front of an audience, being able to connect with people and, and, and feel comfortable with that is always a benefit. So I think at the very least, you know, you should be doing things like that. You know, we also have a great theater program. Kevin Long does an exceptional job and Laura Puglio. Harper College is so, so blessed to have such great staff and faculty. You know, that's, that's my personal opinion. I think that's the case though. We do very, a very good job of hiring wonderful people who really put their heart and soul in what they do. You know, people like yourself, you know, I mean, being at the college as long as you have and being involved with HCM and keeping that alive is is important. And I think students will really benefit from that overall. Yeah, it's been interesting uh, taking the radio station from something that was uh, uh, kind of dying on the vine at the time and then bringing it back uh, to something and then going through COVID and losing most of our people. And now we're in this big rebuilding phase. We've had so many students come to us saying, I want to get involved with the radio station in the last week that it's almost overwhelming. And um, but we're going to find a way to get them involved. So it's it's really exciting. Oh, good. Good. That's good to hear. So I know you mentioned this before, mentioned a little bit of this before, but you were involved in a lot of early training or what I'll think is early training for folks interested in diversity and multicultural training. How'd that come about? How was that a thing for you? How'd that evolve? As I mentioned, there was an association I was a member of called the National Association for Campus Activities. And anybody who did what we did, we went to these national conferences where they talked about what the hot trends were and what programming you should be looking for. And they mentioned, I think it was back in the late 80s, actually, early 90s about diversity. And, you know, I've always been very diverse in the music that I enjoy, the, the what I read, the culture, whatever. Uh, I've traveled to you know, 29 countries, five different continents. I've had lots of international experiences. So, so I've always loved diversity and I thought, you know, this is something we could, we could pursue. And as it turned out, I, I got my master's degree at DePaul University with their school for new learning. And at the time there was no diversity multiculturalism program. So I developed my own and uh, went to the National Multicultural Institute in Washington, D.C. and went and got a training the trainer session. I, I developed workshops. I, I brought stuff back for Harper. I did all kinds of research. And at the community college level, you know, most research is done at the four-year level. So I had that whole market to myself, which was kind of great. And so I saw this big niche in the market and took advantage of it. So I wrote the book, the first one to address multiculturalism and, and uh, diversity at the, at the community college level. And Senator Carol Mosley Brown wrote my foreword, the National Association for campus activities published it and then the Illinois Community College Student Activities Association endorsed it. It sold a lot of copies and it was for a very long time the only book of its kind and I think it still might be the only book of its kind. So I was way ahead of the, the curve which is thrilling but in another way it's very sad. I think that a lot of what I was teaching back in the 80s and 90s, actually more so in the 90s, is still so relevant because we're still having so many issues and concerns. So uh, I, and I should mention too Brian, I, I did a lot, I spoke at the national level, I did a lot of national conferences where I spoke about 
diversity concerns. And then I shifted over to conflict resolution. I thought that was something that I could address and I wanted to address because of all of what's going on in our country. And so up until 2019, I was doing workshops at community colleges in, in the northern part of our state. But with COVID, that kind of put the end to that. And I'll, I'll see if it, if it comes back or not, but we'll see how that goes. Yeah, I think that's that's so important. Absolutely. But I know you wrote two books. Tell me about the other one, Laughing at the Sun. Oh. <laughs> so one of the reasons uh, I had a retirement project in mind when I retired, and that was to, I had this idea for a book. Uh, it was a road trip book I, I had taken with a, a buddy of mine. And it was, a, it was interesting because we were both going through these transitions. He was married and had a family and he came out as being gay. And I never knew. And we had been, we had been friends for 15 years. I didn't have a clue. And uh, I had another bad relationship, mostly my fault, you know, I had another failed relationship. So he talks me into going with him on a road trip out West with his, we had a, a, a U-Haul filled with his artwork. And our goal was to get to, uh, to LA where he was living with his partner. And uh, along the way we had this, it was a rolling confessional and Bob was, you know, actually his name is Bob Fisher. He's this artist. You'd think he would have an art degree, but he didn't. He had a psychology degree. So he was sort of my, uh, my therapist along the way. So we had some incredible conversations. And, and what's really funny though, is when I was thinking about writing the book, I approached him because since he would be a subject of the book, I said, you know, are you okay with this? I'm going to write about a road trip. And he goes, oh, is that the one where you almost threw me over a cliff? And I had a pause for a moment. I had completely blanked that out. I, I, I had forgotten, but he he has this way of getting under my skin. We're like like brothers in a way, you know, and he just needles me all the time. And I think I got to a point where uh, I, I was literally ready to toss him over a cliff. I think I needed to threaten him so he would just back off, you know. So once he said that, I thought, oh, I forgot about that. I mean, yeah, that's how I'm going to open the book, actually. So I put out the book in 2015 and it was up for a couple of Ippy Awards the independent publishing awards and uh, sold a lot of copies and had some success with it. And I'm actually working on another book called Chalk Marks in the Rain, another memoir uh, of a situation that I had in Paris back in 1986. So I'm working on that. So uh, it's a, an opportunity for me to, to work my muscle when it comes to writing. Sounds good. So I have to say as a, as a radio person and a person who teaches production and does this podcast, you have a very impressive career and, and all of your stuff is really fantastic. It's really great. But for me, the fact that you work with Jim D. Regattas and Greg Cott. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is this is how my life unfolds sometimes. You know, I gotta be honest with you, Brian, I never had a plan. Never. I, I had you know, I was not one of those people who knew what I was gonna do. And and so things just kind of open up. And uh, in fact, I saw Jim Durigatis on WGN this morning talking about the R. Kelly trial. He right. had that book out called Soulless. If you haven't read it, you gotta read it. I brought Jim and Greg to Harper two or three times. And they did extremely well. We brought them to classrooms. We, we tied into music classes. And then we also had the, the events for uh, our community. Uh, I love their show, Sound Opinions. It's a podcast on WBEZ. It's amazing. That's an amazing podcast. And it's an example that I use for all of my students to say, go listen to this, right? This is what you want to do. Yeah. I'll pass that along. Yeah. You know, they're, and they're great guys to work with. Oh my God. In fact, what's funny is uh, Greg Cott was actually my, he was, he edited some things I had, had published in the Tribune. And I don't even know if he remembers those days, but I had met him way back when. And, uh, and Jim, I always followed, you know, they're the Ebert and Siskel of, of rock and roll. For, that's, I know that's an older reference to a lot of your students are probably not even going to know who that is, but uh, Ebert and Cisco were, were film critics. One was for the Tribune, one was with the Sun-Times, and they had this kind of competitive relationship. Jim and Greg had the same thing initially where Greg was with the Tribune, Jim was with the Sun-Times. 
I read both of them all the time. I love their bylines. I loved what they had to say. So I brought them to Harper. And what's interesting is once I was ready, I mentioned to them I was retiring and they took me out to dinner. And to my surprise, they said, hey, would you be interested in representing us? They thought that I did such a great job. I'm very detail oriented, <laughs> very anal retentive, very neurotic, I think, uh, which is traits that are really positive for somebody who has to be focused on, it, on details. And so I started booking them and I've worked with them now since 2012. So uh, almost nine years or so. And I book all of their college and library and community types of events. And that's just been a joy. I, I so love working with them. They're total professionals, fascinating people. It's so funny too, that if you saw the movie Almost Famous, where he opens up the drawer and there's all these backstage passes and ticket stubs, I have a whole display of ticket stubs and backstage passes from as early as the 70s through current times and photos of Keith Richards and Mick Jagger. I've got autographed albums from Muddy Waters and The Police. Uh, I am such a fan. And I thought I knew a lot about music until you start chit-chatting with Jim and Greg. And I can't tell you how many times that, you know, we'd be backstage at an event waiting to go on and I'd make some comment about something I had just heard, some album I would say, hey, I really love this new record. And they would fill me in on how it was so derivative and, and important. And well, I still like it though, you know? So, it, so sometimes having critics as friends can be challenging, but for me, and I'm so glad that you're a fan too, because I love what they do. And, and it's such a privilege for me to work with them. Well, those guys are great. And it's, it's funny that you compare them to uh, Siskel and Ebert, because I'm currently listening to a podcast about about Gene and Roger and uh, about the history of, of that show and everything and, and how their relationship developed. And, you know, I grew up with those guys and you're right. Jim and Greg are very much the Siskel and Ebert of rock and roll for sure. Yeah. And do you know, um, we had Ebert and Siskel at Harvard. Oh man. They, they, they spoke in the student center. If you look in that, that book by Trick Thorson, the 50th anniversary book, you'll see the the date because it all blends in my mind. That's why I have to always take notes and look at my right. notes. But they spoke in the, in the student center and the program they did was exceptional. They they did, you know, what do we look for in a good film? And so it, I had read their columns all the time. And so it was so insightful to get this additional information and, and you know, front yard type of thing and the student activities. I mean, I couldn't ask for a better situation. So that was very cool. Yeah. It's funny what you said about them uh, critiquing your, your music choices. I have a, a colleague who uh, he's a mentor of mine for teaching film history and I'll sit down with dinner to talk to him and I, I just get schooled, you know, like I know a lot, like I really oh, know yeah. my stuff, but I just oh, get yeah. schooled by this guy every time I sit down. So another, another dear friend. Um, and I, I knew him for years and he was so supportive of everything I was doing at the beginning is Dan Geyer who wrote for the, uh, the daily Herald. And he supported a lot of the shows I did. We had Robert Altman come out to the college and Paul Bartel, a lot of different directors and stuff and and so we talked and, and we showed a lot of cool films you know Almodovar and a lot of the early French films and uh, Harper you know we, we we did a lot of experimentation to see what kinds of things that students would like and Dan was so cool he supported what I did and we became friends and he was very sweet about letting me come to some of the film screenings and that was another situation where I would see this film with him and go wow that was really a great film and, and then he would you know very calmly and sort of you know he would you know take it apart and you know and say well you did know Notice that the police were shooting, you know, on a public uh, you know, streets and people could have been injured or killed. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I didn't think of that. Or they drove on the expressway this way. And, and so he again, like you said, he schooled he schooled me, uh, I think. And, and, and but those are all beneficial because then you get to really learn about what to look at, what to see when you when you go to films. Yeah. And I should say his name. Ron Schultz is my is my mentor and uh, he's a film collector as well. And it's wonderful uh, to be schooled by someone so uh, 
intelligent, but sometimes you think, my goodness, I know nothing, you know, so. Well, there's nothing wrong with liking something for your gut instinct. That's true. That's true. You know, I'm a sucker for a good melody. I'm a sucker for, you know, and I, you know we all have our guilty pleasures and uh, I think that's not a bad thing, you know? Yeah. I tell my film students all the time, it's okay to like what you like, but just let me show you some other stuff. Okay. And exactly. then we'll... So you exactly. became a Harper Distinguished Alumni in 2013. What was that like for you? That had to be an honor after working here all that time. What an, yeah, an incredible honor. And I'm so so grateful that people felt that what I did here at Harper was important. Uh, you know, there's nothing like putting 30 years of your life into a program. You know, it's so nice that people acknowledge that. I don't have any kids. And so I consider a lot of my former students, you know, part of my family. And it was so great to work with thousands of students over the year. And for some, I, I was a mentor. The things we taught them and, and got them involved and got them enthusiastic about things. And some of my former students, you know, got involved with you know, MTV or they got involved with, I've got friends who are, you know, working at theaters now uh, based on their experiences at, at Harper College. So that's really wonderful to look back at your career and know that you've you've had an impact on some people is very, very positive and fulfilling. That's great. So you've touched on this a bit already, but I try to ask every one of the guests that we have on the show uh, a very simple question, but I think an important question. What advice do you have for current Harper students or for someone who is thinking about coming to Harper? What I shared earlier, I think, is still effective advice. I think it's important for students to take off the blinders when they come on campus, look around. There's lots of great opportunities. Connect with your faculty members, connect with, you know, your other students. What's bad about social media now, in my opinion, is that, you know, you're always focusing on your your phone. People don't make phone calls, let alone personal connections as much as they used to, uh, from my observation. Meet students in your class. Ask them what their game plan is. If they have similar interests, think about it. If you're in a you know, a journalism class or a, a theater class or whatever class you're in or a math class or a nursing class. Find out what those other students in the class are, are what are they doing? What's their game plan? Where are they going to go to, you know, where are they transferring for a four-year school? What kinds of internships do they have? And, and take advantage of that because making contacts, that's been the secret of success for me. And, and Harper College is just a hotbed. There's so many opportunities. And, and I was going to mention too, besides, you know, like with clubs and organizations, uh, I wanted to share just to make sure to, to get that in here. Uh, my wife and I have a scholarship uh, for nursing students, you know, because of COVID. We realized how critical it was for students to, uh, that, who wanted to go into the nursing field that they, they got help to do that. And so we opened up the scholarship. and. And it's out there but you know getting involved with like the student nurses club or any other club on campus a lot of them belong to national associations i know that for a fact so you know if you want to go into a particular field find the related club and and you could possibly go to some conferences on you know on the college's dollar you know on the student activities dollar which is a great experience so take advantage of all that or, or using people like yourself find a mentor find somebody who can help you figure out your journey, your route to success. That's all great advice. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for everything you've done to Harper, that scholarship. I mean, to, to do that, to give back in that way, I just admire that so much. That That is so great well, thank you. of uh, you and your wife to do. And that's just 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 amazing. Well, Harper, Harper College has made such a big difference in both of our lives. And in fact, that was the slogan, the marketing slogan when I first got there was Harper makes a difference. And Boy, it so reflects on on my experience. You know, I got my education thanks to Harper. I got my career thanks to Harper, and I got my wife thanks to Harper because we met through yeah. Harper. So, 
um, you know, Harper did make a difference in my life and I hope it continues to do so for all the students that are there. Yeah. Now. My friend, uh, reflecting on what you're saying there, my, my friend and colleague, who's your friend and colleague as well, Jeff Prisbillo, uh, one oh, yeah. time in a speech, uh, said, he said to be a hawk. And what he meant by that was to be involved, to be totally in on Harper, to absorb and take in and use Harper for all that it has, and then to go out and promote yes. Harper for all that it has as well, to to be a hawk. And and I really took that to heart uh, when he said that, and I've always tried to live by that as a, as a faculty member here at Harper College. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Brian. It was a, a real pleasure. Michael Neiman is a man of many talents author, agent, conflict resolver, and a 2013 recipient of the Harper College Distinguished Alumni Award. If you're enjoying Harper Talks, please subscribe, and while you're at it, rate and review us so that others might find us. Harper Talks is a co-production of Harper College Alumni Relations and Harper Radio. Our show is produced by Shannon Hines. Our technical producers are Eric Benilla-Sanchez and Merrick Renner. This episode was edited by Ashley Rosenthal and Brian Diaz. Our theme music was created by Aiden Cashman. I'm Brian Shelton. Thanks for listening.